0: Thanks for joining me for another episode of Accented the Podcast. In each episode, you will hear a fascinating story from one of our guests. And yes, it is real. This series is aimed at English learners who want to improve their listening comprehension by listening to a variety of accents. In today's episode, you will listen to Sen Jean, who is a Chinese-Canadian living in Berlin, Germany. Hello, it's the 15th of the month, so that means it's time for another Accented episode. Thank you for joining me today. Now, it was really hard to think of a title for this episode because my guest, Zhan is, well, she was born in China, moved to Canada when she was six, then moved to Montreal, which is another part of Canada, but yet it's the French-speaking part of Canada, then went back to China, and then now she is living in Berlin, Germany. So, it's really difficult to pinpoint an accent. I will say, though, it sounds quite Canadian to me, but I am starting to notice that this is getting difficult to label each of my episodes with a particular accent because people are from so many different parts of the world and have lived in many different parts that also influences the accent that they have in English. So, the purpose of this podcast is to show everybody a variety of different accents, which is great because when you go to use English, you are going to meet people from everywhere. They're not going to have a simple story. We all have such a different story and that can influence our accent. So I will say that this is probably, well, this is our second uh, Canadian episode. However, there are a variety of Canadian accents. So in saying that, I guess I could run this podcast for many, many years because even within one country, there are so many different accents. Now, I want to get back to my guest, Jean, who I mentioned it was born in China and she moved to Canada when she was six years old. Now, her story of moving there isn't a pleasant one because her father was studying in Canada at the time of the Tinaman Square Massacre. Now, a massacre is when a large group of people are killed and unfortunately in china at tiananmen square there was a protest uh, students protesting this was in the late 80s and they stood there and there was a standoff between the students and the government and those students who were who wouldn't move were eventually run over by a tank Now, a tank is an army-type vehicle uh, that you would see at war. It's a war-type vehicle. And throughout the world, this was quite shocking, and I know in Australia uh, when this happened, our Prime Minister at the time allowed all the Chinese people in Australia to Uh, that they could live here, that they had permanent residency here. It didn't matter if they were just visiting or they were here on a student visa. At that time, the Prime Minister said that they, um, all the Chinese people in Australia could stay and make a life here. And Sen mentions that that was the reason that her family decided to go to Canada because of that uncertainty of what was going to happen next in China. Sen also talks about when she lived in China, she lived near a field of oil extractors. Now, oil extractors are a machine that pull oil from the ground. Now, when I think of that, for some reason, I always think of Texas in the United States of America. Maybe it's all the films I've watched and I've seen oil extractors in them. However, that's that's what I think of when somebody says oil extractors. And she was saying that she lived on the border of Mongolia. And now I'm not so familiar with Mongolia. Uh, I do know it, they have some deserts and it's very cold. I know there are deserts in Texas. So maybe that type of uh, terrain is good for oil. I'm not too sure as I'm not an expert, but I guess she was saying that there are a lot of oil extractors in Mongolia and fields of it. And I'm gathering that's in the desert, which is similar to Texas. So if you want to have a look, Google what an oil extractor is so that you can see what it looks like. Now, her father worked in Calgary because they obviously have a lot of oil there. And that's how he got to work in Canada, obviously having experience from China with oil extractors. That's enough from me. Let's get on with the show. Today, I am interviewing Sen Zhan, who is the podcast host of Beyond Asian, The Third Culture. Welcome to Accented. Thank you very much for having me, Kimberly. Thank you. And your story is fascinating, very interesting, because you grew up in China until six years of age and then immigrated to Canada. Yes, that's right. Yeah, why? Why did your parents move?
1: Um, well, you know, so many things I am learning are precipitated by historical events that are beyond our control. And so, you know, I would love to say, you know, we went because um, because we saw an opportunity, because uh, someone invited us over, but um, what, what really happened was, Uh, My father was sent to the city of Calgary in Western Canada in 1988 for a year of exchange, and um, after that year of exchange, he was preparing to return to China, where my uh, my mother and I uh, were waiting for him. I was four years old at the time that he left. But in 1989, on June 4th, was the Tiananmen Square massacres. Um, You Mm. know that cataclysmic event in history that really changed the way that um, that. You know, Chinese people perceived their government and the world perceived China. And so, um, after that event, my father was supposed to return and all of a sudden we weren't really sure if China was really the best place for us. And seeing as he was already in Canada, um, you know, there was, there was a thought that maybe it was better that he stay in Canada and that, um, you know, my mom and I would, uh, would join him there. So, um, that's eventually what we decided to do. Um, so we arrived in, in Calgary in 1990. and at that time, um, Canada was extremely welcoming to immigrants, um, in particular uh, Chinese immigrants. Um, these days, it's quite different. Uh, there is a lot more process to the immigration process. and um, you know you gotta f- you know do a lot more paperwork, a lot more bureaucracy to to be able to get into Canada. But at that time, um, it was much easier to, uh, to get sponsorship. So, um, we went over and my mom and I, like, we both spoke nothing uh, of English. <laughs> so, uh, it was all building up from
0: nothing. Did you go to Calgary first or when, cause you also went to Montreal?
1: Yes. Yes. So we arrived in Calgary when I was six years old in 1990. Mm-hmm. Um, Lived there for twelve years until I was eighteen, and when I was eighteen, I moved to Montreal on my own to start university. There's two English-speaking universities in Montreal, so one of them is McGill University, and the other one is Concordia, and they're both um, quite close to each other downtown. Um, and uh, and a lot of the art scene, um, you know, has of course the English-speaking art scene. Uh, Formed in, in those two in between those two university settings, and there was quite a lot of you know kind of uh, exchange, artistic exchange in between the two.
0: Do you have much memory of your time in China? You know, it's interesting that you ask. Um, my memories
1: of China are really um, fragmented. I mean, I was I was just six, but some of the things that um, that kind of anchor me to that time in China. So we were I was born in the city of Taqing. Um, which is in the northeast of China, close to the border of Mongolia. And it's in the province of Heilongjiang. Um, and that province, especially the city that I was in, was really well known for being an oil processing city. So I remember looking out our window and um, our backyard, not even our backyard, but like our back huge acreage field was full of these oil extractors. Um, so whereas, you know, some other people might have had some forests or rivers or mountains, like we had an entire field full of these, like, you know, those, those things that go up and down, up and down, they kind of look like um, perpetual motion birds. And, um, of course, the corresponding noise of the extractors going up and down, up and down, as far as the eye could see. And, of course, when you're a child, you don't know anything different. Um, you don't think how strange that you know my backyard is full of these extractors you just think oh that's just the way that the world is uh and um and so i i don't yeah i i don't really remember how odd that was until i went to canada and first of all there were no oil extractors (laughs) that i could see (laughs) and second of all it was just so full of um of nature and greenery and you know rivers and blue skies um So you know, there was a huge contrast um, in environment um, during that time, and and there still continues to be. And how um,
0: how were you perceived when you moved to Calgary? Did you, I guess, did you move to an area with a lot of Chinese immigrants? No, no, we
1: did not, because at that time. there was an Asian population there, but they were mostly from Hong Kong. So they were mostly Cantonese speaking at that time. Um, people who were going over from mainland China were actually quite, quite few. And we were actually one of the first. So we were really like sort of the the pioneers of the, of the Mandarin speaking community setting up in Calgary and kind of in the rest of Canada as well. So while there was, you know, there were people who looked like us um, it was still difficult to, to kind of, you know, get in with the community. Um, there were some, you know, Mandarin speaking um, Hong Kong people who who we were able to be friends with. Um, but, you know, when I went to school, I was the for like, I don't know, like a year or two, I was the only Asian looking person in my class. And uh, so I think perhaps even the entire school. Um, and slowly, you know, slowly there started to be more and more. But um, I, I actually think that that's part of the reason why, I learned English so well. So, you know, technically my mother tongue is, uh, is Mandarin, but, um, but I speak English, uh, much more comfortably. I mean, that is my dominant language, um, by far. Um, but I remember, you know, going to ESL classes when I was between the ages of six and nine, I think, and I was the only kid there. So I had the entire, you know, I had that ESL teacher just for myself. She was my private English t- tutor, <laughs> Oh, that's great. And, yeah, and, and and I think, you know, another um, result of that was that I, uh, I integrated really quickly with Canadian
0: society. I guess with your podcast being, you know, the third culture, how do you feel being Chinese having grown up in Canada and going back there? Do you still feel Chinese or do you feel more connected to Canada?
1: That's a really great question and um, it's a question that I've been kind of pondering for the last little while. Um, So, you know, the question of identity and belonging and, um, you know, what am I is something that's been very present in my life. You know, so as uh, since the time that I was old enough to understand, you know, what is Chinese and what is Canadian, um, you know, my, my sense of how I'm positioned in relation to uh, to being Chinese or being Canadian um, has changed a lot. So when I had just first arrived in Canada, um, I would introduce myself and say, Hello, I'm Sen. I'm from China. And then as the years went on, I would say, Hello, I'm Sen. I'm Chinese-Canadian. Also after we got Canadian citizenship. Um also, because that's what my teachers were telling me, I realized that uh, that Canada is a place where you know you acquire Canadian citizenship, and if you're from a different place, you have a hyphen if you want, um, but you don't have to. So my teachers would, would tell me, you know, you are Chinese Canadian. Um, but as I as I got older, and especially after I moved to Montreal, um, that. Uh, that piece of Chinese Canadian identity kind of got left behind and it became superseded by a greater political narrative, which is, are you Francophone or are you Anglophone? Because in Quebec, the the language discussion is so, so dominant. It's so present. um, At least the way that I, I perceived it to be. And so, um, you know, when I arrived in Quebec, I suddenly became an anglophone, and no, and it wasn't so important that I was a Chinese Canadian anglophone. It was just like you're an Anglo from the West, and there's a certain you know there's a certain way that anglophones, especially from the West, are perceived in Quebec. So there was also you know some stigma to <clears throat> that I had to overcome um, as an really anglophone what from is the West. that. Um, I'd love it's to that know. well, it's that you're you know, you're a rich Anglophone from the West. You're from the province um, where the oil comes from, where uh, it's it's known to be rich because of the oil. And now you're coming here to Quebec, you know, to spend your rich oil money. Um, and that was the perception, you know, um, in in the early two thousands. Uh, and you know, the language politics discussion in Quebec is like a pendulum in the sense that. Um, it's always swinging from one side of kind of extremity to the other. So depending on when you arrive in Quebec, you might catch yourself on the pendulum swinging more towards the really intense Francophile, um, discussion, you know, where, because in Quebec, uh, the, the, the notion of preserving the French language exactly as it is. And in, um, in spreading um, French to uh, new arrivals in the province or new immigrants to the province was extremely important. Um, and they really want to preserve that, uh, that French culture in Quebec. That's, that's really very strong part of their identity. Um, but after a while, because, you know, Quebec is, is a part of Canada. There's been, of course, you know, we had the referendum in 1997, 1999. Um, and so separatism has been a big issue um, in Quebec. Uh, but after a while, you know, of this intense, you know, on one end of the, the spectrum of needing everything to be French and the the French language police, which is a real thing, going into establishments and making sure that, you know, the menus are in French and not in English, um, that uh, the street signs have French um, larger than, uh, than English, like the text in French is larger than the English, and it has to be a certain percentage larger than the English, like all of this stuff. Um, just kind of reinforced like the fanatical nature of the, of the, um, you know, the, the need to make everything French.
0: I want to hear more about your podcast. Tell me how that's going and you launched that in May. Yeah.
1: So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm nearly 36 and I realized that for the majority of my adult life, I had been running away from my Asian identity and running away from my Asian culture because it was incomprehensible to me why my home culture was so different from the outside culture and you know and you know there there are lots of stereotypical examples right like you know tiger mom parenting styles and um and overemphasis on academic uh, excellence and uh you know chinese families are Um, our collective. And it was just really difficult to reconcile with the life that I had been leading, which was, you know, a lot more individual, um, uh, a lot more, you know, kind of like uh, in alignment with the Western values that I've been learning at school and at university, and a lot more, you know, where I felt comfortable to be myself. And, um, and I had associated all this discomfort with the fact that I had come from um, an Asian background, and I didn't, I didn't feel that was uh that was helping me <laughs> so to say. Um and uh and so I wanted to just kind of leave it behind for a little while or a long while. Turns out it's been a long while now. Um and just be who who I felt like I wanted to be. Um but as I you know kept running from place to place, you know, I at first I I went to Montreal, I stayed there for 12 years. Um, I went back to China to to kind of try to, you know, reassess my roots from an adult perspective. I stayed there for a year. And from there, I came to Germany and that was six years ago now. Uh, And I just realized that, you know, the more that I, I try to run away from things, the more that I'm denying this really important part of myself. And there's only so much running that you can do before you run out of steam because you're not accessing all of the self that's available to you. That's, so that's what I feel now, you know, now that I'm in my mid thirties, I feel like, you know, I've pushed so hard. I've gone so far in the world and, um, now there's something that's, that's missing. Now there's something that doesn't quite feel like it's complete. And, um, another thing that happened along the way of all this running is that, you know, I was, I was trying to differentiate myself from all of the other Asian people that I would meet, you know? And so for a long time, I didn't have close Asian friends. I had a few, you know, that were from my, my time in university, but I didn't endeavor to make any new Asian friends because I had the belief that they were all going to be, traditional. You know, they were all going to be very conservative. Um, they were going to be like smaller versions of my parents, I guess. <laughs> um, and, and that was, you know, I understand why I had that perspective, but it was inaccurate. Um, because what ended up happening was that along the way, doing all the things that I love doing, you know, doing things like taking acting courses, or taking art courses, or doing um, things that were, you know, considered really untraditional, Um, I would meet other Asian people who would challenge my notion of what it meant to be an Asian, you know? So I wasn't the most out there Asian that I knew anymore. I, I, I met other, um, other, let's say really not unconventional Asians. Um, and that was, uh, it was was kind of a wake up call for me. I was like, you know, what makes you think that you're the only person like you in the world?
0: That's really interesting. Um, thank you so much and good luck with the podcast it's a really cool idea and uh thanks for joining me thank you so much kimberly it's been a pleasure it's been really nice to
1: be your guest uh, for a change to be on the other side (laughs) and i I really congratulate you for your podcast it's an excellent idea
0: and um, oh thank you so much
1: yeah i hope you have lots of other more interesting accented guests in the future
0: oh definitely thank you all right bye-bye thank you kimberly Thanks for listening to another episode of Accented. I'm your host, Kimberly Law. Accented is released on the 15th and 30th of each month. If you'd like to find out more about me, please head to kimslawofenglish.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts, so please don't forget to leave a review of the podcast or even a star rating. Speak to you soon.